Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Nope, not going to talk about it. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, what, in your opinion, is the biggest evangelical story of the day? Uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. Don't you dare mention the passing of a man who has some theological differences with us. Uh, We can't do that. I don't know if you have read the current contemporary evangelical online social media playbook, but you can't say anything nice about somebody with whom you have a difference of opinion. So please don't bring it up again. Dr. Charles Stanley in touch ministries heard on potentially thousands of stations around the globe. He was, by every marker, he was an evangelical big boy. There's no question about it. He was one of the early rescuers of the Southern Baptist Convention, along with people like Jimmy. Who are the other ones? Uh, Paige Patterson. Sorry. With a number of good men worked really hard to bring the Southern Baptist Convention to being more biblical than it certainly was when they found it. The life issue, role of women issue. And he could be put up onto the Southern Baptist Mount Rushmore as one of the individuals who had a great good impact on the Southern Baptist Convention, not to mention he preached the gospel at First Baptist Church Atlanta. And I was allowed the privilege of actually meeting the man a number of times. He was famous. <laughs> he was okay. So here's the dish out to dinner with Charles Stanley. A really dear friend who at the time was the chief executive officer, I believe, of In Touch Ministries and Kirk Cameron. We're walking into a restaurant. Bartender says, sorry, wrong story. Walking into a restaurant and a couple went, I can't believe it. It's you. Dr. Stanley. And there stands Kirk. That was the second time that happened with a little growing pain. He was known wherever he went because he had been on TV and radio for decades. And I learned a bunch of stuff from him because it was actually in touch ministries that called us from Minneapolis down to Atlanta. Friel, we don't care about your personal details. This is not about me. We were doing radio in the Twin Cities. Way of the Master Radio at the time, and In Touch Ministries bought a TV network. It was called Family Net. Family Net also had Sirius Satellite Channel that they ran. So when In Touch Ministries purchased Family Net, they got Sirius Satellite to boot. Well, we happened to be on Family Net at the time, and so they kind of. They got us, <laughs> whether they wanted 
us or not. And they actually invited us to come down and basically do what we do on radio, on TV. So, like the Beverly Hillbillies, we loaded up the car and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And we're, we're still jittery from it. And we officed at In Touch Ministries. And this is worthy of some contemplation for all of us. I, I did not share a few Let's just say a few things that I that I can think of that honestly aren't even worth mentioning. They were they were they were a big enough distinctive, but he was almost certainly an Orthodox Christian, right? Small O Orthodox Christian. And they invited us to come in and do a TV show, and we officed out of In Touch Ministries in Atlanta. It's a massive facility; about two hundred and fifty folks work there. And we were on TV and we were banging away really hard. And they never got after us for it. Never edited, never sanctioned, never said, hey, don't do that. They were gracious. And, and, and more than that, I saw a graciousness behind the scenes. This was a hard lesson for me to learn because, okay, fine. Maybe I have a really large gift of being frugal. Because <laughs> it just, just, you know, when you grow up in the Depression era or in my family, money is like a big deal because you don't have much of it. And when I was at In Touch, I learned very quickly what the rule was regarding a dispute with a vendor. If a vendor, somebody who provided a product or a service for InTouch Ministries had a dispute or you had a dispute with the vendor that, hey, I don't think you build it right, the rule was pay it. Pay it. Because the testimony of this ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth more than whatever that dollar amount is. Whoa. That was fascinating to me. And I had lunch a couple of times with Dr. Stanley, spent some time with him in his office, like, you know, <laughs> like naughty children do with the principal. And he was always gracious, never snarky. I'm sure he had his moments, but I never experienced them. And at In Touch Ministries, I experienced a graciousness even with people that you do not share every single theological distinctive. And I wonder if that isn't worthy of our consideration in light of the passing of Dr. Charles Stanley. Might I ask, is it possible that when I brought up the name Dr. Charles Stanley, that you blanched because he's not your theological cup of tea? Or... You didn't care for his preaching for whatever reason. He just wasn't your style. Did you perhaps go, whoa, no, don't tell me that Wretched is selling out. I know that feeling. I get that feeling. I'm inclined toward that feeling. And yet I need to let that feeling be roped in by the Bible. Do we have unity with people with whom we do not share the essentials? And, and the answer is absolutely not. You mark those which cause division, essential division. But those that do not, even when you see a misstep, even when you disagree with a secondary or tertiary level theological position, 
can't we still be in unity and actually love those brothers and sisters? I know the internal, oh, but that means I'm getting squishier liberal. It doesn't. It really doesn't. You can hang on to your conservative biblical positions. You can hang on to them and at times rabidly if need be. But on secondary and tertiary, we want to be really, really slow to divide. Why? Why should we be slower to divide than quicker? Now, that is not to suggest we never do it because Jesus prayed for unity. It's a big deal. And Jesus' high priestly prayer on behalf of those of us he left behind, he wants us to have unity. And I know full well you cannot have unity without the essentials. But when we do, I just wonder if maybe all of us could learn a lesson from Charles Stanley and In Touch. He knew my differences. I was on his TV network teaching them. And he never went, son, and that Southern voice, his Southern draw, man, that is, he had the, he had the, there's some Southern accents, let's just say are better than others. He had the better one. And his resonant voice just rattled down there. Never did he tag me on it. I, I, I think at the, for in, now this, this is fascinating. I believe we did a bit called the Porpoise Driven Life. <laughs> and he could have easily said, hold on, son. Rick Warren's a fellow Southern Baptist. Let's not be doing it. Never did it. Never jumped on our throats. And I, I witnessed that. And I, I never felt treated like a second class citizen, even though the theological distinctive street ran both ways. Can we see the death of a man who preached the gospel faithfully for 50, 60 years, has had a massive influence on the Southern Baptist Convention, has fed, I dare say, millions of people, and even though he might not be your particular style or he might not preach as expositionally as you would prefer or some of his stumblings along the way, shall we say. We'll let the Lord sort those. But he was orthodox and he was faithful to the end. Maybe you say, oh, hold on a second. What about his offspring? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that another day. But on this day. It seems appropriate to bid adieu to a faithful Orthodox preacher, Dr. Charles Stanley. Discuss. This is Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture. And all of a sudden you hear... Everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you 
like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. As you know, Philippians 4.1 says to stand firm in the Lord. Speaking of standing firm, we are so grateful for your support in helping us to reach millions with the gospel. But I do have a question. Have you ever prayerfully considered becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Why is that a question that I ask nearly daily? Well, you know we're all about creating compelling, efficient, and theologically sound productions like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and Transformed. But it's your generosity that helps us to be able to produce that content. And as you may or may not know, you never have to worry about your donations with us. We're members in good standing with the ECFA, which means we are totally accountable and careful with every single penny you donate. To become a gospel partner, it's simple. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 70 A.D. Titus destroys Jerusalem and the temple. The separation between Christianity and Judaism deepens, and Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel as they go. God uses tragedy to forward His great commission. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Go ahead, Jimmy. Take it away. (laughs) And do what? You know. Come on. (laughs) Say it. Say it! This is Wretched Radio. <laughs> That's Man, you my want? part. <laughs> what did you say during the break about unity? Right. So the other believers that we have secondary differences with, should there not be a conversation around actually seeking unity with them rather than just tolerating them? What you just asked is such a powder keg. Hmm. And, 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 and it's not because it is we who are being hypersensitive or trying to be biblical or are willing to be critical, but because it's so complex, what secondary issues are you talking about? What tertiary issues? What about the lifestyle of the individual? There's so much involved with seeing somebody that is outside of your theological camp. I don't think it is perhaps prudent 
to say this is how we should always act toward those with whom we have secondary disagreements. It's just more complex than that. Furthermore, you could see the trajectory of an individual or maybe it's been a bit since they have said or tried to uphold a bad teaching. So rather than trying to speak definitively in a blanket sort of way that you should always just really try to have unity, I I think we just I think we need to be a little bit more precise, surgical with that. So let, let me give this a go. My heart should hope that the individual with whom I have a difference of opinion is a believer is not a false teacher, and isn't on the road to that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't stay mindful of that, that I consider that, but my heart's desire is that the individual is growing, being convicted, God is working on them, or they're just not doing a ton of damage on something that is secondary or tertiary. My heart, the the posture of my heart, this is this is this is where it, this issue is so explosive because if I even say this wrong you might say you're getting liberal you're selling out that's why I'm not talking specifics I'm not thinking of a particular individual I do believe 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the principle we hope all things we believe all things. Our, our posture is, oh, I hope this is good, rather than, hey, what's going on there? Now, this is why it's tricky, because we don't want to get rid of that attitude, the latter attitude, totally, but it shouldn't be the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear should be, I sure hope that maybe if we spend some time together, I can share some verses that will help this individual see their theological position differently. I sure hope the Lord is working on them and growing. I sure hope there's nothing else stewing underneath that might cause me to go, "Uh oh, we got ourselves a false teacher or a heretic or a false convert here. And that's hard for us. I I, I have not taken a Lifeway poll. Maybe they could. Doubt they will, but. What is in biblical, we're talking about conservative circles here. What face overall do you think we project? And it's probably, if I had to do my observation of us, of which I am a part, we probably, our first reaction is danger, Will Robinson, problem. We need to speak out about this. And that's not entirely wrong. There can be dangers and problems and we do need to speak out. And we see those who never do. And we say, rightly so, you're a compromiser because you're not speaking out. We are commanded to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth. We defend the faith. We urgently contend for the faith given once for all time. And when we see those who never do that, we want to avoid it so intensely that we never offer any sort of charity, perhaps, or even patience to understand a little bit more, to just wait and see before 
putting a label on somebody and making it clean and tidy. The reality is some things just aren't clean and tidy. And we've done this. I remember doing this with Phil Johnson in the past. We've talked about some people that are high profile evangelicals and and, and the the two of us agreed I, I, you can't call him a false teacher. What they're teaching is wonky, but you can't call him a false teacher. And that's hard. It's like wonky teaching. That's like you put a, put a big X on him and we're done with them. Well, you can't always do that. Now, that's not to suggest you can't tell people, I really discourage you from following that teacher. I think that there are better sources for you. I'd put them in the timeout box until something definitively can be claimed or they clean up their theological act. There, in other words, there can be a position on a spectrum before somebody is identified as being a heretic or a false teacher. And our attitude should be, I sure hope not. Let me ask you, try. And I, I, I try to do this, and I'm even trying to do it as I speak. When I learn about some, I could bring up some names in evangelical Christianity. And is your, is my first reaction, eh, even though they're not heretics, it's just bad stuff. And there can be some of those people we identify as such. But is my heart, that's what I'm talking, I'm not talking about the ultimate verdict that you render. I'm talking about my attitude and my heart in getting there. I'm hoping all things. I'm sort of like with the way the American judicial system used to be you're innocent till proven guilty okay that's a secular document uh, as a christian i should just be ho- okay okay i heard that whole pro- high profile teacher say something really bad i sure hope that was a mistake i sure hope that that clip was taken out of context i sure hope that that individual isn't getting all squishy i sure hope that Is that my first response or is my first response? There goes another one They're They're like queen. Another one just bites the dust. I knew it. I just knew it. Now, trying to keep this as generic as possible so that you don't think that I'm talking about anybody in particular. So if anybody has jumped to mind for you, is he talking about verdict that we're supposed to put up? I'm not talking about anybody. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about them. I'm, I'm just talking about us. And I'm talking about my, my, my complexion. What is it? What is, what, is, what is my face? Let's ask a different question. What is our God's face? Just like any human being you meet, you can tell to a degree, what type of person they are, especially the more time you spend with them, you start to realize, oh, that's a really nice guy. Or, whoa, he is an acerbic jerk, that guy. You you identify a person by their predominant features. Question. This is a dangerous theological question. I understand that. I, I I truly do. But what is God's complexion? What is God's face, especially toward his children? What it, what is if 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 God became a person, if 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 he came to this planet and walked the earth and you bumped into him, 
and said, oh, excuse me. And you spent a little time talking about the weather. And in pretty short order, no doubt, he would ask you if you consider yourself to be a good person. What would have been your impression of Jesus Christ? Would it have been that he's severe, sharp, critical? Or even when he did do his criticizing, did those who received his critique understand the guy's not a jerk? He's actually a really nice, loving guy. And if we can conclude that about Jesus, and I think we have every evidence that we can, it's fascinating to consider the disciples. Hey, come follow me. They drop their nets and go. Now, no doubt in the gospel, there's more details that, that he spoke, but I don't know what they are. And I've chosen to not put words into his mouth, but it had to be more than his words. It had to be the way that he spoke his words. Consider the little children who desired a hug from Jesus. You didn't walk up and want to hug a rabbi as a child because you knew that dude is off limits, but Jesus wasn't. And he was a rabbi. Why? What was it about him? He was, you have to conclude, he was just like, why did thousands of people follow him? They didn't get to talk to him. They didn't get to be in the inner circle. Just wanted to be close to him. Was it what he taught? Absolutely. But I think it was also how he taught it. No man spoke like this man. We've never heard anybody speak like this with authority, compassion, love, tenderness, truth, severity, the whole package. And if we conclude that is what our Savior is like, and that is even how he dealt with false teachers, the challenge for us today, do we look like Jesus in that regard? This is Wretched Radio. And it is now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks, and we start in Texas where a volleyball player has testified about a major injury she sustained from a trans student who played for another team. The trans student spiked the ball right into the face of Peyton McNabb, which caused some serious neck injuries. You know, I could be wrong here, but could playing identity politics with sports be a bad idea? And fortunately, there are some so-called preachers out there floating around, and one of the worst may be a guy by the name of Chris Rowe of Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Why do I say that? Well, you judge for yourself. This past Wednesday, I actually got to witness the resurrection. I had the honor and the privilege and the responsibility of representing this church in the room where Governor Whitmer signed the bill into law, repealing that unloving and unjust law. Basically, this guy says he got to witness the resurrection by attending Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan's recent signing ceremony, which repeals the 1931 abortion ban in the state of Michigan. If you watch the full message, Roe goes on to draw parallels between the crucifixion of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the expulsion of two Tennessee legislators, calling it, quote, just another Good Friday story of our time. Blasphemous is the first word that comes to mind, but sometimes you just don't think that's strong enough language. Unqualified and dangerous are two other words that maybe together with blasphemous are strong enough. Sick and twisted, that's for sure. Speaking of sick and twisted, LGBTQ activist and teacher Eric McDermott, age 59, was recently arrested for raping a 16-year-old student. 
This is absolutely disgusting. And I know the debate about the erosion of public school will continue to rage on. And what you do with your children in your home has to be your decision. But it is a decision that has to be reevaluated almost daily. Not just because of stories like this, but also from Washington State, a middle school is being investigated for having students and staff play a licking game that parents are describing as highly vile. Desert Hills Middle School in Kennewick, Washington had minor students and adult teachers compete to lick marshmallow cream off either side of two clear plexiglass panels. A video is making the rounds that actually shows what happened, but toward the end of the video, one staffer appears to be licking the glass in a way that one parent described as sensual. And that's been your latest Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Leviticus is the guidebook for the priests and Levites as they attend to their duties in the temple. In Leviticus, we learn that God is holy, sin is serious, and that God requires a sacrifice for atonement. Thankfully, we have complete atonement in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Just in case everybody isn't annoyed with us already, let's talk about church worship music, shall we? This is Wretched Radio, a question. Do you have a theology of worship? You say, what you talking about, Willis? I say you and I should be able to go through our Bibles, glean principles, read explicit verses about the worship that is pleasing to God, and come up with a statement that says, this is how we as a local body are going to worship. And here's why. Most of us perhaps don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about how the Bible could inform how we pick music, what style of music we choose, who gets to lead. Do we even need a leader? Should there be a leader? All of those questions are answered in the Bible. And with this document that I hold in my never before nicotine stained fingers, a biblical philosophy of music and worship. God created music for the sole purpose of bringing him glory. It predates creation and will always exist as a channel for the worship of God. In other words, worship is a big deal. It's going to go on forever. And you and I do well to make sure that we are offering the highest form of worship we can. Why? Well, this takes us into another systematic theology, and that is theology proper. What is our view of God? Do we have a high view of God? Do we believe that he is to be feared, even among the saints? Do we believe that he is a consuming fire? Still, not for those of us who are in Christ, but for those who are outside of Christ, that he is otherly and that our expressions of worship should be the highest form possible. Back to our document, music is only a part of our worship to God, but it's important. So it's crucial that we understand its proper role and its biblical use. Scripture speaks very directly to several issues about music worship. It records God's approval of a variety of musical instruments in worship. 
when you read those little lines underneath Psalm 149, those are actually inspired too, because it will say from the choir director, wait a second, that tells us there were choirs involved. There was a director, there was a choir. Now, where he stood, that doesn't describe and explain that, but they must have been able to see him in order to follow him. And a choir sang, and inside of the Psalms, we see a number of instruments, don't we? Symbols. We see heart, stringed instruments. We see a variety of instruments in the Psalms. Therefore, a variety of instruments is not just good, it is probably better. And that hurts because it is my personal opinion. It's not a biblical opinion. It is my personal opinion that the organ really is the only instrument that you should need in church. And Jimmy, I've got biblical support for that because the word organ, uh-huh. it's, it's it's in the Bible. Judas Iscariot, the rope broke. Yeah, Organs all over the place. There you have it. That's it. The organ should be the preferred instrument of choice. Let's go back to see what sort of music God prefers. There were choirs, vocalists, separate from the congregation. These were a prescribed part of Israel's worship. God appointed men to lead the musical element of the corporate worship. That's instructive because it does help us not explicitly, but I believe implicitly answer the question, should a woman be leading in worship? The pattern that we see is that it was men. Biblical music could either be loud and exuberant, Psalm 95, 1, 98, 4, etc., or quiet and contemplative. Uh-oh, that means there can be a variety of musical presentations in the worship, and I can't complain about it? What are we going to talk about at the Cracker Barrel, huh? If I can't carp about that particular song being too loud, and believe me, the music can be too loud. Yikes, some of the rock shows, you can't even hear yourself sing, which I believe is actually an error, because it's the human voices that should be heard. Now, the instruments should support, they should beautify, but it's our communication from our heart to God through our mouths that should be heard. And when the music overpowers that, I think that's problematic. But that isn't to say that music can't sometimes get loud. And maybe, just maybe, because we see a variety in the Bible when it comes to instruments, when it comes to styles, which we'll get to, when it comes to when music was written, and even volume, I got to be careful that I'm not imposing my preference onto what God has prescribed. The New Testament identifies the types of kinds of music that are acceptable in worship. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Here's how they are defined. The expression hymns are those that set forth the truth about God. Spiritual songs refers to music that is neither psalms nor hymns, but has biblically solid spiritual heritage. And then, of course, there are psalms which are taken directly from the Bible. Please note, there is a disagreement among good brothers and sisters about psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Was he just using a list of three different words to say the exact same thing? Some say that, so it should just be psalms. I don't think those people are heretics, and nobody else should either, and vice versa. I think that we do see a range of music that was acceptable. Furthermore, I think Paul actually quoted an early church hymn that wasn't a direct psalm. Nevertheless, we see psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So how do we pick music today? I think it implies 
that we can pick psalms, certainly. We could, it's really interesting. I, I was kind of, I don't know why this surprised me, but apparently it surprised me enough that I've actually remembered it. We went to a church where they only sang psalms. And th- there was very little accompaniment. They, they did have a piano to accompany, but they didn't always do that. And I wondered what Mrs. Friel was going to think about it when we were done. And we got in the car and she said, I really like that. I just liked singing God's word. The way, the way that, now different language, but that, that sang it 3,000 years ago. Whoa, she really dug that. But I do think that we have permission to say, yes, absolutely Psalms, but there can be hymns. So think about your old red or blue hymnal and spiritual songs. Could it be that we can even sing some contemporary songs that are good? Oh, that hurts. But the answer appears to be yes. So now the question is, how do you pick which one? There are some churches who respond and say, we are just going to do hymns. That's it. Like the classic stuff, you know, the good stuff. Sorry, I tip my hand. There are others who go, no, we are going to reject the old school stuff and we're going to do everything that's contemporary. Then you get churches splitting. Well, we'll do the hymn thing at eight o'clock in the morning because the old people are up with the birds. And then we'll do the contemporary thing at 11 o'clock for the kids. Uh, what, what is the effect of that? Well, you have two different churches, basically. And you have a body divided when you choose to separate people based on their preferences. Furthermore, I think that we're viewing it wrong. The question isn't what is my musical preference, but what does God affirm? What does he approve of? And it appears in the Bible that he approves of all of it. And I would even say this as much as I think orchestration is the highest form of musical accompaniment that we have been able to come up with, like orchestra strings, horns. I, I, I don't think that we can say that is the only acceptable form of music to God, as long as it's done excellently. And that brings us to our next section of a worship theology. Regardless of the style of music, the actual presentation of the vocalists and musicians is important. Musicians that are unprepared or music that is done poorly can distract. Thus, the biblical imperative to, quote, play skillfully implies acquired abilities, training, and rehearsal. That would be your first Chronicles 15 and 25, Psalm 33. Pretentious performances. Hmm, seen any of those? Pretentious performances calculated to excite men's praise can also distract from the purpose of music, which is to be pleasing to God and bring glory to God. Paul, in his preaching, didn't speak with cleverness of speech, and he had plenty of it. In the same way, musicians involved in worship have a unique responsibility to reject the performance mindset often acquired in their training. The goal of the musicians involved must always be the natural, undistracting excellence that draws the listener's attention to the Lord and his truth. This document doesn't dive into the location of these people and their performances. You know, if you go to an old church, like it looks like an actual church, (laughs) the way that we think about church, oftentimes the choir, they were up in the loft, either off to the side or in back. Because back then there was some thought that actually went into building design and how we worship. And the thought was, we don't want man to be the center of attention. They didn't go in front. 
They went in back. Why? So that our worship could be pleasing to God, so that the choir contributes to my attention being pointed toward the greatest entity in the universe. That is just a partial theology of worship. Question, does your church have one? Have you considered writing one before you go about the business of selecting Sunday's music? This is Wretched Radio. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. All right, listen up, parents and married couples. We know better than anyone that there can be times of uneasiness in our homes. Well, if you're ready to revitalize and make a transformation in your family life, then I want to point you in the direction of Wretched.org for a new deal so good, you're going to think it came straight down from heaven. I'm talking about the Joy in the Home Bundle. In the bundle, you're going to find the Drive-By Marriage audio series, the Drive-By Marriage study guide, the Drive-By Parenting audio series, and study guide and last but certainly not least reset for parents now understand this isn't a magical potion that's going to make everyone in your home behave but it's the next best thing so what are you waiting for hurry up head over to wretched.org right now and jump on the path that's going to help you bring joy back into your home don't miss out it's wretched.org it's the joy in the home bundle on sale right now trust me you'll be thanking us later Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at pre-born centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Hermeneutics. The Bible is not a manual. While it should be read literally, the books fit into a variety of genres including narrative, poetry, prophecy, and epistle. How we understand and apply scripture begins with identifying what genre we are reading. 
This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yes, this this actually is some good news. Can we rain, however, on the good news parade? Yes. Yes, we can. This is Wretched Radio. Good news. Twitter has ended the ban on what is called misgendering and dead naming. So you now can use an accurate pronoun. Yay! Victory! That's a victory these days. We can actually use the right word to identify a particular object. So yes, it's a victory. But when you consider that we had to wait for somebody to come along and purchase the operation for billions of dollars and then lift something that many of us think is um, a violation of rights, a stifling of free speech. It's a victory, but wow, in the context of victories, it almost feels like a ridiculous victory to me. Don't, don't, Don't misunderstand. I'm glad for it. I'm just saying, wow. We get to use the right pronouns. It would be as if I announced to you, it is now okay, fellow citizen, to identify a furry beast with a tail that barks and loves to snuggle on your lap, eats twice a day, and has to go outside to use the potty. You can now call it a dog. Okay, it's it's a victory, but... Wow. Uh, One of the organizations that has been allowed back onto the Twitter machine has a Latin name. I don't know exactly what the second word is because I'm not familiar with it. Carpe fill in the blank because I don't know if it's a good word or a bad word. You've heard, of course, of carpe diem, carpe solum, sees the day, sees the sun. This is carpe something else. And they are a satirical site. And I don't mind telling you if your satire slash sarcasm cup is running on empty, It is about to be filled. This organization has taken a page out of the Saul Alinsky playbook. This is reported in the American Thinker. Saul Alinsky rules for radicals. He came up with some of the principles that have really helped this country become a disaster. Basically, here were three of them. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. How would that apply itself? What does that look like? Ah, he says that he's a Christian, but it looks like he did something that isn't Christian. Ha, 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 down with Christianity. Make them live up to their own values. Um, We have to be careful with that one because sometimes, but not all the time, sometimes that can be a powerful argument, but it isn't necessarily an argument because just because somebody does something while identifying with a thought or an organization with whom you disagree, that doesn't mean the precepts or the principles or the position of that organization are wrong. Just like we don't want people to judge Jesus based on some of the behavior of presumed followers of Jesus Christ, we encourage people, no, judge Christ. You are going to find plenty of sin in the sinners who've repented and put their trust in Jesus Christ. So don't look at us, look at him. Determine the veracity of his claims, not based on my behavior, but based on his works, his character, and what he has done and said. So we need to be careful with applying that Saul Alinsky rule. Number two, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense. It is almost impossible to counterattack ridicule. Also, it infuriates the opposition, who then react to your advantage. And finally, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. So 
when we come up with a strategy of that 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 can be effective, while not necessarily being a good argument, but it, it appears to be effective, and the people on your team like it, then you then you've really stoked up the team. And we've got to be careful on this one because both progressives and conservatives do this. Getting a getting a, a gotcha, making fun of somebody, clown. What is what is the one Jimmy that everybody use? Clown world, I think, is the the yeah, term that yeah. people are using. The oh, hey, look at clown world in the White House. Okay, yeah, yeah. We got to be careful how we go about the business of identifying people with a particular adjective. Carpe, fill in the blank, pretended to be a third grade teacher using his unlimited power over children during school hours to indoctrinate students into Christianity. (laughs) I really enjoyed this. Here's what they memed, tweeted. As a third grade teacher, I often talk about Jesus with my students. They're so excited to hear about my faith. They point to the cross on the wall and ask me about the resurrection. Some have been baptized in the sink. As long as they don't tell their parents, it's our secret. I hope this doesn't get me fired. Please don't share this to libs. I want you guys to understand, I'm not grooming these young apostles. They come to me, and I follow their questions back to its source. Oh, oh, Paul would look at this degree of sarcasm and slow clap. Wow, that because that's what they do is this is everything that they say, but it is about gender issues. How would they like it? Well, that question gets answered in a moment. Back to the carpe satire. These kids feel something is not right inside them, and I help them to understand that Jesus is what's missing in their life. Guys, it's important that we keep these tweets away from people who would get me fired. Please be very cautious with whom you share these. Do not post links like this to prominent liberals. It puts my whole class in danger. I won't be safe. (laughs) For some of my kids, it isn't enough to know who they are in Christ on the inside. They want it to be visible to everyone. So I've helped my third graders get crosses and tattoos, and you wouldn't believe how excited they are to finally feel right in their own skin. Oh, ew, bang. It's confusing for some of these kids when the person they are inside doesn't match with who they are on the outside. I have a dress-up box with priestly robes and WWJD bracelets that they're free to use, try out their new identity. Our school counselor is also a devout Christian and has started offering spiritually affirming care. (laughs) Every cliche, every misnomer, every inverted reality concept, bang, right here. Students can open up about their faith without the judgment of parents who are dangerous. Many of these kids can't talk to their parents about the transformation Christ did in their heart. It'll just be our little secret. What do they know anyway? At the beginning of every year, I give each student a gospel of their own to read at school. For some of these kids, I was the first person they came out to as a Christian. Even their parents don't know. A few of my students take communion here because their parents don't allow it. 
Oh, wow, does this ever punch a hole. One of my fondest memories from last year was when Caleb made his transformation from Islam to Christianity. To celebrate his new identity, we had a pizza party with his favorite topping, Canadian bacon. That's funny. How would a Muslim feel if a teacher were doing that to their child? And we'll just keep it our little secret because your Islamic parents might not affirm this and they might get mad at you and you might be endangered. You might take your own life. Sometimes I buy Caleb a hot dog at lunch since he can't have it at home. (laughs) Now, here's the the funny part, if you will. Here are some of the responses to satire. You got to be careful how you use it. It isn't always grasped by everybody. So a woman who is pro-transgender tweets this. A lot of all caps here. This is extremely unconstitutional. This is a violation of parents' rights. That you need to keep it a secret means you know it's wrong. You need to be fired. Oh, isn't that something? From another somebody who didn't get it. As long as they don't tell their parents, if I had a child at that school, I'd be planning a lawsuit. No. you. Well, that just means you're Christophobic is what that means. And, and you are endangering us and not allowing us to feel how we want to feel. And here I thought you people were all about having more parental involvement in education. (laughs) I hear that regularly from Christian politicians. Does that not apply when you're doing things like religious indoctrination and secret baptisms? Um, Hello? You even identify that you do that. But when we do it, it's a problem. Finally, why keep it a secret, tweeted one. Might it be because that what you're doing as a state representative would get you fired if the authorities found out because it's bleeping illegal? You should be ashamed of yourself proselytizing to third graders. Yep. Yep, indeed. A sarcasm. It can be effective. It can also in a way, encourage us, but I don't think you're going to convert anybody with it. (laughs) So I think we need to use it sparingly. It can indeed be a serrated edge. It can shred to pieces. And we want to remember, we have a much higher goal than changing somebody's really ridiculous thinking. Salvation. The gospel. That's what these folks need. Not just to be sarcasmed into a corner but to be regenerated by the gospel. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.